Okay, if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. You know, it's interesting. The only thing that we have uh, that is constant uh, is in our hands. Everything is always changing all the time. Even as we meet, that all the lights are on, there's no screens behind us. Even as we meet here, it's always kind of a little different. Uh, but the, the Word of God, this is the only thing that doesn't change. This is why we look to it, God's unchanging Word. Uh, and may it speak to us this evening. Start to talk like, where have we been? Where are we going to? We've been in the book of Genesis. We're seeking to build a biblical worldview, looking at the foundations that God laid in this first book of the Bible. Um, and <laughs> I'm, just, I'm laughing. If you think of, of music, there's certain music that brings excitement, that, that brings uh, amazement. And it's kind of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And I don't know what the sound it would look like, but it'd be something like really exciting, like bump, 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 bump. It would keep getting higher. See, I'm like, I don't, I always kept thinking, what sound would that make? Whatever sound in your mind, it's like it keeps getting more and more exciting, more amazing, leads to praise. That's Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, right? God made everything in six days and it was very good. And, he, and, and Genesis 2 goes back into day 6 and talks talks about making man and putting him in the garden and making uh, Eve uh, a woman for man. And so it's very, very positive if it, was, if it was music. But then you get to Genesis 3. Sin enters in. One act of disobedience. You can imagine, the, it's like, dun, 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 dun. Like it just, it drops off. It's a, I, I wanted to make a horrible sound. Maybe that was actually. <laughs> but, but if you just think if it was music, like it would just start to get dark and dismal and slow. And then, and then you go into Genesis chapter 4. You're like, well, it was so good. Everything was very good. It was so great. And then Genesis 3 and everything went wrong, what happened? Well, what's, what's, what would Genesis 4 be like? If you think about it, Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Kicked out of God's presence. Like, what's going to happen in Genesis 4? Now that sin has been introduced to this good creation, how does that change things? The question I, I want to put before us, which I think this text answers clearly, in which the focus is, is sin. How bad is it? Because if you think as we're looking at this text, uh, God could have told us so many different details of what happened when they came out of the garden. But instead, there's this, this narrow focus, as we'll see on Cain and Abel. And I think it's like, as we see sin, how bad is it really? If you want to stand with me as we read a Genesis 4, we'll be looking at the half of, of Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Now Adam knew his wife, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel, 
Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and out of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they're in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I, don't, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. May God bless his word to our souls. You can have a seat. So we, we know this story, right? Cain and Abel. The problem, if you've ever read it in the children's Bible, the children's storybook Bible, it's a pretty hard story to, to teach the kids. There's Cain, there's Abel, and there's just Cain. You know, like... The, the problem with like children's Bibles, and we, we have many, we've read them to our kids over time, is that the Bible is raw, it's real, it's uncut. It, this is what happened. So I want us to see again, asking that question, sin, how, how bad is it? And I think this passage of scripture just is here to actually show us how bad it is out of the garden. Again, there could have been so many details that could have brought to us. Where, where did they go? What, did they build a home somewhere? Did they have to build a fire? How did they survive? What did that look like? Instead, God goes from Genesis chapter 3 to Cain and Abel. Sin, how bad is it? Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. I want us to see here. Sinners at birth. Looking at verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So Adam and Eve were being faithful. They were being fruitful and multiplying, as God had called them to there on the sixth day of creation. So now we have the first baby. There's going to be a lot of firsts in this chapter. You can imagine early on in Scripture, the first baby born into sin. And of course, we know from Genesis chapter 3, the curse that was placed on the woman, that this, this birth was with a lot of pain. 
But I think Eve, even as she gave birth to this child, even as she felt the pain, she was asking herself, is this the one? And what I mean by is this the one, if you weren't with us previous, in Genesis 3.15, the second part, there's this promise that's made in Scripture to the serpent. And, and for Eve, it said, he shall bruise your head, speaking of the serpent, against Eve, and you shall bruise his heel. Like someone's going to come from Eve who's going to bruise the head of the snake. And so she has her first child and she's asking, is, is this the one? My first child, will he bruise the head of the snake? And, and why can we know that? Well, how it's translated, she says in, in, ES, in the ESV, I have gone a man with the help of the Lord. Where the NASB translates is, I have gone a man child with the help of the Lord. In the Christian Standard Bible, I have a, had a male child with the Lord's help. Notice she doesn't call Cain her son. There's this kind of like awkward thing going with the Hebrew that not everyone's certain exactly how to translate it. But I think the reason it's awkward is because Eve's thinking, is, is this the one? Not that, hey, I have this son, but is, is he the one? Martin Luther translates this passage as he translated the Bible into German. He translated it this way, I have the man, the Lord. But the Hebrew actually could allow that type of translation because Eve, with her first child, she's thinking, yeah, I was told this promise to the serpent. Maybe it's Cain that will crush the head of the snake, but we know it was not Cain. Cain was born into sin. As, we'll, as we read the story, we know that to be clear. And I think that became clear to Eve in time because then she had a second child. Again, she bore his brother Abel. And Abel's name, it means vanity or vapor. It's like by this time, she's already like, it's not coming from me. So she named Abel vanity, vapor. It's, it's not happening here. So we have the first baby born. We have the first brothers. Again, in verse 2, now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. We have the first professions. So Abel, he was a, a shepherd, not for eating the meat of the animal, but for milk, for clothes, a fur to cover themselves with. And Cain, he, well, he was a farmer, one who worked the ground, probably following after his father, Adam. But notice, even as it's, as it's given to us, the names are reversed. So Cain came first, then Abel. But then it says, now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground, telling us, like, what is about to happen. If you'll notice, verses 3 to 5, so Adam, or Cain and Abel born into sin. Verses 3 to 5, we see sin affects our offering to God. Sin affects their offering. Sin affects our offering to God. It says in verse 3, in the course of time. In the course of time, like how much time had passed, it doesn't say, but for sure long enough for them to grow up, to be able to do this profession, that they would put their, the fruits of their labor forward. Some commentators think maybe it was the time that had passed is referring to like the agricultural season, that now, now it's time for the ground to produce the crops, uh, for the animals, I guess, to be fattened. But the time had passed, and now they're going to bring what God had given them before him to the Lord. As, as we see there 
In verse 3, in the course of time came, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. How did they know to bring offerings? It doesn't say here in scripture, but I, I imagine it was probably because their parents told them. Hey, when we were in the garden, when we used to dwell in fellowship with the Lord and we, we sinned against him, we tried to cover up our sin ourselves, but God in his mercy, he killed some animals and covered us with their skins. The first, the, really the first kind of sin offering before the Lord. How did they know that they were supposed to bring something to God? I think it was their parents who taught them. Just think for ourselves as parents to your children, what are we teaching our children? What are we leaving with them? For sure, we're teaching them many things. I think Adam and Eve taught them this, bringing something before the Lord. Now notice the differences again in their offerings. What does it say about Cain? In the course of time, Cain brought the, to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. He brought some of his crop. Doesn't say what it was or, or how good it was. He brought something, right? Something's better than nothing, right? That's what he brought. He brought something to the Lord. And then about Abel, notice what it says about him. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. For Abel, Abel brought the firstborn of, of the animals. And then he brought the fat portions. He brought the best. Because you think like the firstborn of your animal, like, well, what if the rest don't really pan out so well? But no, he's putting the firstborn and then the fat portions of the animal were the best parts of the animal. So we know that about those two offerings before the Lord. It seemed like Cain, here's something. Abel is like, Here's, here's the best that I have. I'm bringing before you. We, we get that ourselves. <laughs> Even as we think about Old Testament sacrifices, one commentator says this, in all animal sacrifices, the fat was burnt because it belonged to the Lord, being regarded as the choicest part of the animal. So later on in the Old Testament, it, we're told that, that God actually calls, as they were doing sacrifices, bring the fat before him. Give us the best. So even just, just thinking of a simple analogy, we think of like, do we give people the best or do we just give them something? It could be kids, it could be adults. You have like a box of Timbits. And maybe, maybe the chocolate glazed ones are your favorite. And someone's like, hey, can I have a Timbit? And you're like, yeah, for sure. You're like, here's a plain one. <laughs> there, there you go, have a Timbit. That's kind of like Cain's offering. Like, yeah, I'll just give you something. But Abel's offering was like, hey, can I have a Timbit? Like, have the chocolate glazed one. They're the best doesn't pale in comparison to, to what had happened, but just, in a, just that's what it was. It's like he put what he thought was his best forward. And maybe some of you are like chocolate glaze, like what a terrible example. They're not the best, but uh, we can talk about that later. But the thing is, God had regard. He accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's. We don't know how this happened, how they knew that, like, that Abel's was accepted and, and Cain's wasn't, but they knew. God made it known to them in some way, shape, or form. In fact, the New Testament helps us understand the difference between their offerings. If you just look with me or listen, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says this about Abel. Hebrews 11, verse 4. 
By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel offered his his gift with faith. He, he believed that God existed and he was going to give him something. That's the thing. He had faith behind it. That's actually what set apart their offerings. For sure, as we read there in Genesis, he gave them the best, but he also did it with faith. It also says this in the New Testament, speaking of this offering in, in 1 John uh, 3, 11, or verse 12. We should not be like Cain, 1 John 3, 12 who is of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. In the New Testament, looking back, they're like the giving of this offering. It was evil. Why was it evil? It's because it wasn't done with faith. Where Abel gave his offering before the Lord with faith. Abel offered his sacrifice with faith, believed that God would accept it, and, and it was accepted by him. God had regard for it. Cain did not. But what about us? Just thinking about us for a moment. Are we to give offerings to the Lord? Well, first off, I think the biggest thing is, yes, we are. We're to give our very selves before him. Thinking of Romans 12, verse 1. After Paul spends 11 chapters unpacking the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're all sinners before a holy God, we have no hope, but yet Jesus Christ died for our sins and he drew us to himself and we're forgiven in him and he unpacks even more uh, kind of mysteries of the gospel and he gets to Roman 12, 1. And it's like, what do you do in response to that? He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's the first thing. What kind of offering should we give for the Lord? We should give our very selves. I am yours completely, Lord. Do with me what you will. That needs to be the cry of our heart. And, and if we've done that, even as we sang this evening, even as we sang with, with using a phone plugged in, sometimes the wrong lyrics coming up, or uh, that was on me, on the pieces of paper you have, but did you do it with faith? Did, as you know, the words were coming out of your mouth where you're like, I'm singing to God on high. May he receive the glory done with faith. That's an offering to the Lord, our praises before him. Is it windy out there or something? <laughs> I don't know. That's, uh, I haven't seen that happen before. <laughs> and another thing we can give before the Lord in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says this, writing to the church in Corinth, they're, they're going to give an offering to help out the, the poor believers in Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 9-7 says this, talking about giving. This is something we give to the Lord. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And of course, in, in the church, then we, as we give to the church, we give to God's work. House to support me, house to support the ministry. But what does it say here? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's about the heart. It's actually, it's not about the amount. 
Whether you give little or whether you give lots, it's about your heart. And, and, I, and I, I thank you, our church, we're, we're faithful givers. But I think, and the weird thing is, as we give, we don't pass anything around. So we don't do it as we're gathered together. We, we give online. And I would just ask you, are you doing it with faith? Are you saying, like, this is to the Lord? And I know it's easier when you're like, we're gathered together, maybe we sing songs, and you're like, yes, this is my act of worship. And it's not as much if you're, like, you're clicking on a computer. <laughs> but we can do that with faith. Give it to, let's pleasing to the Lord when we do that stuff with faith. So the things we can give first ourselves, our praises, and we can give financially as well. And there's, there's much more we could talk about giving, but back to Cain and Abel. Cain's offering was given without faith. Look at God's reaction to him. And God had no regard for, for Cain's offering. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. In verses 6 to 7, I want us to see, so we saw how sin affected Cain's offering, just kind of like, yeah, take it. Now, verses 6 to 7, we see sin desires to rule over us. Sin desires to rule over us. Look at verse 6 and 7 with me. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You must do well. You must do what is right. Sin, this is the first time sin is actually referenced in the Bible, though we've seen it obviously in Genesis chapter 3. And this, this word for sin, there's a number that are used in Scripture. This word for sin means missing the mark. Missing the mark. That's what Romans 3.23 would speak of when it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Fallen short of God's holy, righteous standard. Miss the mark. If you think of missing the mark, think of something like long jumping. How about you? I'm like, what's the long jumping world record? I, I guess it's 29 feet and four and a quarter inches, which is insane that someone could run and jump. And, and imagine the mark was 30 feet. It's like, oh, they haven't really missed the mark by much. But the mark that we're talking about in sin, missing the mark, it's more like, hey, we're all doing long jumping and we're trying to go from like Newfoundland to Spain. <laughs> and everyone's like giving it their best and the best can go 29 feet into the ocean. Like no one's getting close. That's the type of missing the mark we're talking about. In sin, like no one's coming close to God's holiness, God's perfect righteous standard. But there's this warning to Cain that I'm, I'm going to come back around to uh, here in a little bit. Sin desires to rule over him. Sin desires to rule over us. And we see, as we look here, did Cain rule over sin? Well, as we read on, we know that's not the case. How bad is sin? We have this example. We have history to show us how bad sin is. Look at verses 8 to 15. We see sin's bitter fruit. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So we have all these first, the first brothers, the first murder. 
Isn't that amazing? You go from Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3, one act of disobedience, Genesis 4, premeditated murder. That's how bad sin is. In Genesis 9, or Genesis 4, verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? The question, God already knows where Abel is, just like he, when he asked Adam, hey, where are you? He, he knew the answer to that. Look at Cain's answer. He said, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? I do not know the first human lie recorded in scripture. Sin, how bad is it? What a question, eh? Am, am I my brother's keeper? Cain, the one who actually knows he's his brother's murderer, and God knows it. And this is what's brought before us here. So we see here there in verse 10, the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. God sees, God knows sin is not done in secret. That's another thing that's exposed to us. We see the sickness of sin, but it's God knows he sees all things. And sin leads to punishment. Now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. So we see like not only was it hard for him to work the ground previous because of sin, thorns and thistles, now he was even driven from doing that. It must be raining a little, little bit out there, I think. <laughs> it's good to be in here, good to be dry. But we, we see with Cain, he got a mark put on him. He said, people are going to take me out. It doesn't tell us what the mark is in scripture. But I don't know if you've ever seen anyone who like has sadness just all over their face. You don't have to like, you're like, what's something's clearly wrong with that person? Or, or someone who's really guilty, who looks guilty of doing something. Or someone who's really depressed. I don't know whatever it was, but it's like anyone who looked at Cain like, what's with this guy? They knew he was marked by God. A murderer, but such a mark that no one would touch him. Again, it should beg you to ask the question. He said, whoever finds me will kill me. So there are other people around there on the earth, right? You, you guys see that? Like if someone else is going to kill him, like, well, we've just been talking about Cain and Abel. But there's other people there. Where do these other people come from? Well, Adam and Eve had other children who had other children who had other children. Genesis 5, 4 says this, the days of Adam after he fathered Seth, another son, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Church historian, or not a church historian, but a historian in the early first century, Josephus, he said the Jewish tradition for Adam was that he had 33 sons and 23 daughters. Who knows if that's accurate, but they had many children. And we know from Acts 17, 26, speaking of God, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So these were descendants of Adam and Eve that were on the face of the earth. But again, why Genesis 4, why we don't have those details of where these other people came from. God just zeroes in and gives you, here's the story of Cain. 
Sin, how bad is it? How bad is sin? Cain is highlighted the firstborn of Eden and killed his younger brother. Look at verse 16 with me. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. I want us to see sin keeps us wandering. He went away from the east side of Eden, further separation from God. There's this parallel to Adam and Eve as they were kicked out of the garden, right? And the cherubim with the flaming sword was placed there. And they went out of the east of Eden. So I don't know if they really settled very close to the garden of Eden, kind of like what they thought being around God's presence. But then Cain, he had to go further east, further away from God. And where did he settle? He settled in the land of Nod. And maybe you have a footnote there that tells you that Nod means wandering. He, he settled in the land of wandering. Isn't, isn't that wandering, isn't that the human condition? Never satisfied, always looking to what's next. In sin, Cain is the picture, I think, of every human Settling in the land of Nod, the land of wandering, like ever restless. Just can't sit still. Just is there something else coming? That's what we see with Cain. I think that's what we see with us as we try to live life apart from God. Life doesn't make sense until you turn to the creator, the one who made us, the one who gave us purpose. Because we are all descendants of Adam. And we all have that ugly thing called sin in our lives. The thing that we see in Cain leading him to murdering his brother, leading him to lying, leading him to wandering. We all have that dark, same thing within us, sin. Now, as, as, a, as we just look at chapter 4, the first part, now I want us to think, turn the attention to ourselves and just think, how do we battle with sin? We all have it. We all face it. If you look back again at verse 7, as God said to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Its desire is contrary to you. Its desire is to have you, to dominate you, to rule over you. Friends, we need to call sin for what it is. And even this picture here that's crouching at the door, how that's from one commentator, it says this, the Hebrew word for crouching is the same as an ancient Babylonian word referring to the evil demon crouching at the door of a building, threatening the people inside. Sin may thus be pictured here as such a demon waiting to pounce on Cain. It desires to have him. Friends, we shouldn't excuse it in ourselves or others, but, but we do. Right? As people get into trouble, as they get into sin, oh, boys will be boys. Oh, they're just young people. God, oh, God made me this way. It's just who I am. I'm, I'm just tired. It's just been a really hard season. Think, does, does our world downplay sin? You know, instead of calling it lust, looking at a man or a woman with those intentions, ah, like, oh, that person, I used to have a crush on them. 
Instead of someone who's like overeating, consuming way more than they should, calling it gluttony, a person could be like, oh, they're a foodie. It's really like food. Instead of calling someone who like doesn't move, is very lazy, and, and doesn't do what they're supposed to do, you could just say, oh man, they, they just they enjoy leisure. Someone who is so gripped with clothes, just has so many clothes and always needs to get the latest thing, materialism. Or we could, ah, they're just fashionable. We, we, and of course we can do this in a church too, right? Like instead of calling something like gossip, which is sin, we're like, oh, I just want to share a prayer request with you. Right? We can, we can dress up sin. We can make it more secretive, make it more malleable. Do we downplay sin? I think we can sometimes treat sin like, like a little baby lion. You know, it's, it's a lion, but it's like, it's cute and cuddly. But the reality is sin is not like a baby lion, but it's like one that's looking to devour someone and hungry. We need to see sin for what it is. And I think as we look at Cain and Abel, we see how bad sin truly is. Friends, how bad is sin in our lives? It took the death of Jesus Christ on the cross to make sin's power in our lives. God in the flesh, the perfect one, the righteous one, the one who lived with no sin had to die on a cross for me and for you. That's how bad sin is in our lives. That's how terrible it is. And friends, the only way to be free from sin's mastery, it's, it's crouch, it wants to have you, is to be mastered by God. Right? Say, yes, yes, Lord, I'm yours. That, that offering, giving up my body as a spiritual sacrifice, I am yours. That's how you break the power of sin, trusting in Jesus Christ. No longer to be dominated by sin. I want to be dominated by God. And of course, when you do that, when you give yourself as a sacrifice to the Lord, it's, it's easy after that, right? It's a walk in the park. No, no, not at all. The battle has just begun, right? It is sin. It desires to have you. It's crouching. And you're like, no, I'm following Jesus Christ. Now it's on. Now there's a battle we must wage against sin in our lives. How do we battle sin? I want to leave you with kind of four main points here as I finish. The first way we battle sin, of course, is through the Spirit. It's through the Spirit. Thinking of Galatians 5, 16 to 17, Paul wrote this, I say, walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, but the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to, right? There's a battle we all have in us. We still have flesh, we still have a sinful nature. But if we live life by the spirit, you want to live for God, you want to seek him in prayer, you're like, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And as we, as we see clearly what maybe God's calling us to do, as he convicts us about certain things, being led by the spirit means we obey. Maybe we're convicted. We're like, oh, I shouldn't say that. Being led by the Spirit, we shut our mouths. Maybe we're led by the Spirit. Maybe you struggle with something at night. And you're like, I need to go to sleep. I need to quit staying up. 
walk in the spirit is to obey those not just by the Lord. As you see God's will walk in it, if you're like, oh, I don't know if I should be with these people, obey the spirit's leading and walk in the spirit as you see God's will walk in it. So we, we battle sin through the spirit. We battle sin using his word. Let God's word reveal sin in our lives. Thinking of Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 13. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13, it says this about God's word. For the word of, of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is what God's holy word can do as we read, as we meditate upon it with the spirit, applying it to our lives. If you think about it, God's word to us is basically, it's like an x-ray and a scalpel. It's like an x-ray, like showing us truly what's going on inside. And it's like a scalpel and it's dealing with the sin that's hidden in there and taking it out by the power of the spirit. Imagine if you went somewhere to the hospital and you, you had something you had to deal with. Like our x-ray our machine's broken, so we're not really sure where this is. I'm not sure how bad it is. And we don't have the scalpels today. You're like, well, how are you going to deal with it? And the, the reality is, friends, if we don't let the word of God search our hearts, we don't realize how bad sin is and the sin that's lurking in our lives. The world's like, hey, it's okay. No, sin desires to have you. It's crouching out the door. Let the word of God be the x-ray to search your heart and let it be the scalpel to take it out by the power of the Spirit. And so what we do is, as things are exposed in our lives, we confess our sin. We turn away from it. We run towards God. In Ephesians 4, 26, it says, do not let sin go down on your anger. So you're, you're angry and you're reading that. You're like, okay, I need to confess this before the Lord. I need to deal with this. A root of bitterness will grow. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, it says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Talking about, about marriage relationships. So you're like, oh, I'm in this relationship. They don't love Jesus. And I read in scripture, that's not what we're to do. And so we obey, we confess our sin, we turn away from him, we run towards God. So we battle sin by the spirit, by his word. We battle sin with his people. Gathering with believers. Hebrews 3, 12 to, 4, to 13, it says this. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Hear this second part, verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's one of the reasons we gather together that our hearts wouldn't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We battle sin by gathering together and worshiping the Lord. Church gatherings, small groups. Friends, I'm so thankful for the church that God has birthed in this time. As I don't know about you, I went through some, it's been a hard season where my heart has been prone to anger and to bitterness and resentment. But then as I come together with God's people and we're singing songs and we're praying, it's exposed within me. 
and I can't stay there. I want to confess it to the Lord. And that's, that's what we need to do. We need to keep gathering together to expose sin in our lives. That's what we do in small groups as we unpack God's word further and we break off guys and girls. Keep each other accountable. How's it going? Have someone asking your question. It takes a while to develop that type of relationship. But brothers and sisters, we need each other in battling sin. So by the spirit, by his word, with his people, we need to know and be known. And that's, it gets messy. It's, it's not, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. No, we're, we're all battling sin and fighting. We need to gather together, expose sin in our lives. And lastly, and most importantly, in battling sin, we need to gaze upon Jesus Christ. We need to meditate, think upon the work of Christ of the cross. One old saint, Robert Murray McShane, said, if you take one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Because we see the battle within. We see our fallen sinful nature. When we look to Jesus Christ, we see our hope. And as we meditate, as we think upon him, that's where our hope is. That's our victor, Jesus Christ. Friends, just think about this. If we're doing those things, I don't know if you've ever seen those, uh, <clears throat> those kind of like big ball suits, inflatable balls you can put on, and you go inside, and you can run at each other and hit each other. It's a lot of fun. You can play soccer and different things. So these big inflatable balls, but you can imagine what's happening. If you have two people running at each other full force with these big balls, what's gonna happen? The one who is bigger makes the other one go flying. Friends, we see sin, how bad it truly is, how vile it truly is, but we see in Jesus Christ how good and how kind and how merciful and how great he is. And if as we look to Christ, watch sin flee. Friends, through the Spirit, using his word with his people, gazing upon Christ, let us continue to battle sin and live for God. If you want to bow with me, I'll, I'll close this time in prayer. Holy Father, something so ugly we just get a glimpse of. I pray by your Spirit that you would allow us to see in our own hearts how wicked is the sin that dwells there. I pray you'd expose it by your Spirit. Expose it by your Word as we read it as we proclaim it, preaching. Expose the sin in our lives, Lord, that's, that's hidden. As we gather together as your people, and Lord, give us a, eyes that would be firmly fixed on Jesus Christ, Lord. Let us to be so distracted with the cross. The holy, righteous one would die for us, Lord. May that dominate our hearts and minds, and then may it help us as we battle against sin in our lives, oh Lord. I pray you seal this word in our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen.